At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Good morning. My name is Chris Shea. I'm a part of the teaching team here at Woodside. Many of you are familiar with me. Uh, But it's so great to be here again worshiping with all of you. And you know, if you did a quick Google search um, on money managing tips, or you opened a Forbes magazine or Money Magazine or whatever your choice may be, uh, you just want to glean some kind of information, some kind of uh, tools to help you in money management, it never fails. You can find a whole list, right, of tips and tricks and resources, strategies, skills that you can then develop, uh, for example, to create a budget or manage a budget, uh, how to allocate a certain amount of money towards your savings to help you prepare for the future, or even an emergency fund, um, how to diversify your investments. All kinds of things will be found on these lists But what you won't find on those lists is an encouragement towards giving, right? They're not encouraging you to give anything away because in our society, giving is often uh, an afterthought, right? It's something maybe on the back burners of our minds. Uh, And so it's something that might be considered a nice idea, right? Something that's even celebrated at times, but it's not necessarily important to the way we live our lives on a daily basis. Uh, And what's interesting is that if you did another search uh, and you were looking up ways to grow and improve in your spiritual life, you'd also find all kinds of lists of of tips and advice. There would be encouragements there for you to read and study your Bible, right? To, To pray and to fast, to attend church, to join a life group, Uh, All kinds of things, spiritual disciplines, which you can and should engage in as key ways to grow in relationship to the Lord. But unfortunately, giving, once again, is often absent from these lists. And even if it does happen to be there, it's definitely not towards the top, (laughs) right? It's it's down towards the bottom after a whole bunch of other things. And so giving is kind of like eating Brussels sprouts. You know what I mean? Like, we know we should because it's probably good for us. And occasionally we actually do. But we're not eager for it. We are not jumping up and down with excitement about the idea of eating Brussels sprouts. And at the same time, we also not uh, feeling that way when it comes to our giving. Uh, We don't often give. And if we do, um, you know, it, it, it tends to be an afterthought. It tends to be maybe a spur of the moment kind of thing, not something that we're actually preparing for. And so the question is, Why? Uh, Why is this? I I think a lot of it comes down to our perspective and our understanding of of giving and and our finances because if it's my money, right? I mean, like, if it's my stuff, then I'm not obligated to share it with any of you. (laughs) It's mine, right? But if I see everything that I have as a gracious, generous gift of God's favor in my life, then that means the house, the car, the clothes, the electronic devices, the money, all of it is God's. 
And therefore, we are not owners of these things. We are stewards of these things. And it changes the way that we think about giving. Uh, Because instead of seeing it as a divestment of our money, it becomes an investment in the kingdom of God. And so therefore, in our passage today, Paul explicitly calls the church not just to give, but to actually excel in the grace of giving. And he gives some really compelling reasons as to why we are to excel in giving. So if you haven't already, would you please join me in your Bibles or your Bible apps? Uh, Fire those up. Just find yourself uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is the uh, second week of our series called Overflow, From Him, Through Us, to All, where we're looking at how the gospel relates to the area of giving. And so if if you're newer here, uh, we don't harp on this. This isn't something we're repeatedly going after to try and get you to give and give but we do want to conform to the totality of God's word. And so we want to address this issue when it comes up in scripture. Um, it's not so much about what we want from you as much as we, what we want for you. And so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church in order to encourage them to grow in the grace of giving, specifically by, by providing uh, financial support to the church in Jerusalem. And this is something that was very near and dear to the Apostle Paul. Uh, In fact, one of the main goals that he had when he was on his third missionary journey was to collect this financial offering for the church in Jerusalem, the church uh, back home, right? So it's kind of like foreign missions today, except flipped around in in, in reverse, where it's those who are scattered across the mission field who are taking up an offering to send back home to the original group. Because the first century church in Jerusalem was experiencing a great deal of persecution because of their faith, and also a disastrous famine had come across the land. And so Paul takes up an offering for them almost everywhere he goes. Uh, He would explain to the Gentiles on his missionary journeys that they are receiving the good news of the gospel, of salvation in Jesus Christ because of the sacrifices of the church in Jerusalem back home. And so therefore... As recipients of salvation in Jesus, these Gentiles were in some way indebted to the church in Jerusalem, the place where it all started, which was now suffering because of it. And so, for instance, we read about this in Romans 15, 25 through 27. Paul says this, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, For they were pleased to do it, and indeed, they owe it to them. For if Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So in other words, the Gentiles have been blessed by those who have been sent out from Jerusalem spiritually, and therefore, in return, they should bless those in need at the church in Jerusalem financially. Uh, That was the expectation that the Apostle Paul had while he was on his missionary journey. But the Corinthian church, uh, the church that he's writing to here, apparently was not doing their part in this collection. So Paul begins to explain that this is an area in their lives where they need to learn to grow in God's grace. Because their view of money was wrong. It it wasn't biblical. It was not gospel-oriented. It was not Jesus-centered. And so 
last week we saw how this kind of giving is not natural, right? This is not something that we stir up with inside of ourselves. This is something that, that we don't uh, make up. This is a supernatural thing. This is God working in us because it's the grace of God in our lives which not only motivates us but actually then empowers us and enables us to be cheerful and generous givers. And now Paul begins to encourage them not just to give but to excel in giving. And he gives them three reasons why this is uh, important to do. So three reasons why we should excel in giving as well. And the first one is this, that excelling in giving displays God's grace. Excelling in giving displays God's grace. Let's read this together. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 7. It says, But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And so Paul picks up on, on the flow of thought from the first seven verses of this chapter where he's been highlighting how God's grace is key to the practice of giving, which is why if you just glance back at verse six over there, it says that Paul encouraged Titus to help them, what? In this act of grace. And Paul says when it comes to God's grace, they have seen it abounding, right? It is overflowing in their lives and expressing itself in their faith, in their speech, in their knowledge, in their earnestness, and in love. And so they, they weren't just recipients of God's grace in these areas. They were faithful representatives of God's grace as well. And so Paul is encouraging them by reminding them of all the ways which they have already experienced God's grace in their lives. But then from that encouragement, Paul issues a challenge because there was still an area of their lives where they needed to learn to grow in God's grace. And this is a great rhetorical device, right? We still use this technique today. Uh, if we have a, a challenging statement to make, something that we think might be seen as a negative, uh, we often soften the blow by offering words of encouragement or saying something positive first. Business leaders know and use this tool in their communication. Wives, husbands, parents can benefit from this as well. And actually, my wife is great at this. Uh, for example, our daughter, she'd be sitting down coloring in her coloring book, having a wonderful time. In fact, it's so much fun that she begins wandering not just outside the lines, but all over the table and the chairs and the walls. And before we know it, everything has been colored on. I mean, it, it's actually amazing how fast these kinds of things can happen, right? But my wife will turn around and she'll say something like, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, wow. <laughs> Your picture is so beautiful. You did such a great job. I'm proud of you. I, I'm going to take that. I'm going to hang it up on the refrigerator. But you know what? You, you kind of made a little bit of a mess. You think we can clean that up? And then our daughter will say, yeah. And, and they'll sing the cleanup song and they'll have a bunch of fun while they do it. Now, my wife could have easily yelled at her, screamed at her even, <laughs> shamed her for what she did. But instead, we see her coming alongside of her and encouraging her, right? Offering these positive words before pointing out a little mistake. And in doing so, she then empowers our daughter to grow in her maturity by taking responsibility and then taking action 
to, to fix the problem. And so in the church, we call this discipleship, right? Uh, because we, when we engage in this, we are also trying to balance encouragement and challenge. And it's really important that we learn how to calibrate these two things because if all we do is challenge people, we're just constantly beating them up saying, you can do better, give it more, never ever celebrating the, the little victories that they have along the way. That is not encouraging, that is discouraging, right? It, it is stressful. But on the other hand, if, if all we do is encourage people, saying, hey, you're doing a great job, and we never ever challenge them, then it creates a comfortable, cozy environment of Christian consumers who never grow and mature in their faith. And so what we see in the Bible again and again is that master disciple makers are really good at this, really good at calibrating both challenge and encouragement in a way that gracefully calls people to change. And that's exactly what we see the Apostle Paul doing here. Paul begins by saying, oh, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I have seen God's grace actively at work in your lives. God's spirit has enabled you and empowered you to excel in all these areas. But you know what? As an elder and a brother in Christ, I want to challenge you to excel in this act of grace as well. To excel in the grace of giving. And in the same way, Paul is encouraging us, right? Because I know that there are many people here who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I mean, you have experienced the transforming power of God's grace in some of the most incredible ways. You, you have been empowered to overcome addictions. You've been empowered to repair broken relationships in your life, to transform your attitude, to use your, your gifts and abilities and your passions in service for the kingdom of God. But I also know that some of us have experienced this grace in our lives in all these ways. We're thriving, we're excelling in so many areas, except our finances, except when it comes to this grace of giving. And so we too are challenged, right, to, to let the gospel transform not just some of us, not just part of us, but all of us, so that we would be conformed to the image of Christ in every area of life. Because when we give generously, when we are willing to put people over our possessions, to prioritize them first, when we are willing to give of our money and our resources, then we are not just recipients of God's grace, we are representatives of God's grace. Putting that grace on display through our actions for all the world to see. Excelling and giving displays God's grace. But then... As we continue through this passage, Paul also says that excelling in giving displays genuine love. If we can learn to excel in giving, then it will display a genuine love. Let's continue uh, reading verse 8. Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So because Paul has already highlighted the fact that the Corinthians have excelled in earnestness and in love in verse 7, uh, most likely, that means that they were earnest when Paul first asked them to give. When he first approached them about taking up this offering for the saints in Jerusalem, they were like, yeah, absolutely. They, they seemed eager to give to the saints in Jerusalem. And, and why would they do that? Because they had a genuine love for their brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those who were hurting 
and in need. And so their hearts go out to them and, and they had the desire to help by giving, but in the end, they actually failed to do so. And so we understand where Paul is coming from here, right? Uh, the way we might say this today in our vernacular is put your money where your mouth is. Okay, because I might say, I love my wife, and I do. Uh, but if all I do is come home from work and retreat to my man cave and hang out there until bedtime zoning out, and I don't take the time to talk with my wife, to ask her how her day was, to listen to her, to help out around the house, to help get the kids ready for bed, all the regular routines that should be taking place, then I might say that I love her, but I definitely didn't show that I love her. And so Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to not just declare their love and their desire to help, but to actually demonstrate it, right? Because what we do with our money has a way of revealing our hearts. Jesus mentions this in Luke 12, 34. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus makes this very deep connection between our heart and our finances, the way that we give. And it's been said that if, if you want to see someone's priorities in life, you only need to look at two things. Do we know what they are? Calendar and your bank account. Why? Because what we do with our time, what we do with our money reveals what we truly love and what we will prioritize in our lives. I mean, many people all across the world, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, doesn't matter, many people will affirm a desire to live generously with their mouths, to be the sort of people that help the poor, that want to fight against injustice, that, that care for the hurting, and they, they want to show generosity to other human beings. But then they don't actually do anything about it. These are just empty words that come out of their mouths, and therefore their love is not genuine. And so Paul is calling the Corinthian church to put their money where their mouth is. But at the same time, he's also saying, I'm not commanding you to do this, Right? So instead, what is he doing? He is encouraging them to participate. Why? Based on his understanding of the gospel and the necessary implications that it has on our everyday lives. And he's gonna back that claim up with two examples. The first example is this, of the Macedonian churches. Right now, we looked at that in, in detail last week uh, because even though they were going through a severe test of affliction, extreme poverty, what happened? They absolutely insisted on giving to the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. And this giving gave them great joy to do so. Paul couldn't stop them from doing it. And so that's what Paul is referring to when he says, by the earnestness of others, in this part right here, right? The, the churches in Macedonia had excelled in this area of giving. It was a genuine display of their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul says, I want you to prove your love in the same way. Not because it's a competition with them, but as an encouragement to join your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in this cause. And so that's the first example that Paul gives, explaining that in selling in grace demonstrates a genuine love, but then... Paul ramps up his argument, right? Taking it to a whole nother level with the second example that he gives by pointing to Jesus Christ himself. 
And he's explaining that excelling in giving displays the gospel. When we learn to grow in this grace and excel in giving, it displays the gospel. Look at verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, through, that though we, he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Wow. I mean, mic drop, right? Like that verse is incredible. And so Paul is escalating his reasoning here, right? He, he said, he's already said, hey, look at your sister churches in the region of Macedonia. Do you see how God has been working in and through their lives, empowering them to excel in this area of giving? They have been displaying God's grace. They have been displaying genuine love. They have been displaying the gospel. But if that's not enough for you, let me remind you of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which you already know, right? Uh, the Greek word that's translated know here is the word gnosko. And it's so good because it, it goes beyond facts, data, and information, right? It, it even goes beyond the idea of, of comprehension, of, of grasping an idea intellectually. What this means is that the Lord has given himself in an experiential way so that you only know this. You, you know this because of your experience and your relationship with him. So when I was a teenager, uh, I became interested in a, a topic, a certain topic. I wanted to know more about kissing. And so I did what any red-blooded American male would do. I Googled it. All right, maybe I had to go to the library and look up through the Dewey Decimal System, some kind of thing. That's a different story. But I researched it, right? I, I studied it. I, I was developing an understanding of what this was and how to go about doing it. Maybe even practice on my hand. <clears throat> but you understand that nothing, nothing compared to actually experiencing it, right? One is facts, data, and information. It's, it's gaining a general understanding, kind of nerdy stuff. The other is, woo <laughs> just a little better, right? That's what Paul is talking about here because there is a big difference between knowing facts, data, and information about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus having an experiential relationship with Christ. And Paul says, you know, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because the Lord has given himself in this way and his grace has overflowed from his life into your life, the grace of giving should then overflow from your life onto others. And in order to help them see this connection, he focuses on a key aspect of the gospel, specifically that Jesus became poor so that in his poverty, we might become rich. Now, Philippians 2 also uh, looks at this. It's known as the kenosis passage. It highlights the nature of the poverty that Christ took in the incarnation when he became man. And so it says this, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when we try to wrap our mind around the incarnation, uh, the hypostatic union of, of God and man coming together in the flesh, we have to be careful to, to distinguish between the person and the prerogative or the, or the privilege. Uh, because we know that Jesus is, was, and always will be God. Right? So even within the incarnation, we see Jesus as a helpless babe in a manger, dependent on his family for everything, and yet at the very same time, he is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Absolutely incredible. And so when Philippians 2 says Jesus emptied himself, it doesn't mean in any way that he stopped being God. Jesus is not emptied of his divine attributes, but of exercising some of his divine prerogative or privileges. It's kind of like the TV show Undercover Boss. Anyone watch this? Kind of familiar with it? It's been a while since it's been on, but if you haven't seen it, it's where the owner of a company or the CEO, someone who you typically think of as, you know, a higher up, someone who's detached from, you know, everyone else lower down in the company, and this person decides to come down and go undercover. And they'll even oftentimes typically put on some kind of disguise just to make sure that no one knows who they are. And then they spend the day in their company pretending to be a brand new employee, right? So someone's got to show them around, tell them about the company, teach them how to do the various jobs and activities. And they're doing this out of a love for their company, right? To, to get a different perspective on things, to see how the people feel about it, to get a, a better understanding of how things are done and accomplished. Why? So that ultimately they can make improvements because at the end of the day, they're still the owner of the company, right? And so if someone, and this has actually happened <laughs> on a handful of occasions, if someone does something that is so egregious, right, in terms of behavioral conduct, the boss can actually rip off that disguise, revealing their true identity, and fire that person on the spot. And they can do that, you understand, because they never actually lost their power and authority as owner of the company. Now, something even closer to what we see in the incarnation is if the owner came down, took on a disguise, and actually interviewed and was hired for a job in his own company. And then over the years, he faithfully and diligently worked his way up through the company, perfectly performing every necessary task and duty until the day finally came when he was unanimously declared worthy of being named the boss, even though he never lost that position in the first place. That's closer to what we have in the incarnation of, of Christ, where we see Jesus was appointed from eternity past for a task, which he willingly takes on, entering his own creation. And when he does so, the invisible God becomes visible in the person of Jesus, but his divinity is hidden. Right? It is, his glory is cloaked under the veil of human flesh. And he spends 
32, 33 years loving God and loving people, serving them faithfully, even to the point of death on a cross. And then because of this, Jesus is now raised to new life and given the name that is above every name, and he is restored to his rightful place, ruling and reigning over all of creation. Why would Jesus go through that? Why would he do all as Paul tells us? He did it so that by his poverty, we might become rich. And obviously, he's not talking about money here. Right? We're not talking about wealth and material possessions here on earth. We are talking about eternal spiritual blessings, or the way Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, is for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the divine exchange. One of the core realities of the gospel is this incredible exchange that takes place when you put your faith in Jesus. That in the gospel, Jesus was condescended so that we might be exalted. That he took our poverty and gives us his riches. He took our sin and gives us his righteousness. He took our death and gives us eternal life. He became a servant so that we might be set free. And for Paul, this should compel us. It should motivate us in all areas of our life, even in giving. Because when we are willing to give of our material possessions, when we are willing to sacrifice something out of our abundance to become just a little more poor in order to help someone else who is in need become just a little more rich, then we display the gospel. The generosity of Christian giving is a beautiful display of the generosity of our Lord who gave his very life for us. Now, that's why Paul calls the Corinthian church and you and I to excel in giving, whether it's in our time, our talents, or our treasure. Paul is calling us to excel in the grace of giving. And so the question is, how do we do that? What does it look like to excel in this grace of giving. Well, first of all, in order to excel in something, you have to do something, right? It, it takes action, maybe even practice over time. You have to actually do something, even if it starts out small at first. And so, for example, when my wife and I first started attending Woodside, you know, we were a young family, uh, really kind of struggling to make ends meet, but we knew we wanted to give in some way. We knew we wanted to serve. And so we went to the elders. We said, we don't care where. Wherever your need is, just put us there, and we want to give in our service. And eventually, that, that took on more realities. We joined a, a life group. Um, you know, we, we began to serve in kids' ministry. We, we filled backpacks for school kids. We, we delivered boxes of food on Thanksgiving. These were moments when we were giving of our time. But then as time went on, we would give financially just here or there, sporadically when we could. Uh, and truthfully, we wanted to give more than we actually did. <laughs> because as a young family, when it was time to get ready for church, we're running around, we're trying to get the kids ready. We're like, get your shoes, come on, let's get dressed. Get your shoes, you know, <laughs> we're trying to get them in the car. And so oftentimes we would, we would trail in a little late. 
even though we tried to get there on time desperately. And then we would begin worshiping and we'd be enjoying the service and the presence of God and then offering time would come. And we'd be like, I didn't bring any cash. Did you bring any cash? No, do, do, do we have a checkbook? You know, we, we're scrambling because we didn't prepare for it the way that we should have. And we had the best of intentions to then give after the service was over, right? But you know how it is. You, you, you go out there and you're chatting it up with your friends and, and you have to go pick up the kids from the kids' ministry. And before we knew it, it just slipped our mind and we'd be out the door. So one of the best things that we ever did in our family was sign up for automatic recurring giving. Uh, it's where every week we don't have to worry about going to the bank and getting out any cash. We don't have to worry about trying to get out a checkbook and frantically write a check because we forgot. We don't have to go to a kiosk in the lobby, nothing. It just comes out of our bank account. The only thing we had to do was pray over it and ask God how much are we gonna give and commit to every single week. And it felt so good knowing that we were giving consistently, even though we started very small, to be honest. And then when the Lord laid it on our hearts, right, through, through certain things, we were then able to give more to certain causes as they came up. And now, our, you know, our, our goal as we have grown in the grace of giving is, is to just increase that. That every year we would continue to grow in this grace of giving. I think that's what Paul means when he challenges us to excel in this area. It doesn't matter if you've never given before or if you've given for years and years. The idea of excelling in giving is that we are constantly, continually growing in how we give to the Lord. So I want to ask you, what is one step? No matter where you are on this journey today, what is one step that you can take in order to become a more generous giver? And to put God's grace on display. You know, God uses ordinary means to do the extraordinary in our lives. Right? That, that's why we have that list of spiritual disciplines that, on our priorities, right? It, it, it's why we make it a point to read and study the Bible, to pray, to gather together for worship. Because God uses these ordinary things in order to do the extraordinary in our lives to help us grow and mature in our faith. But listen, when you turn around and you give generously of your time, talents, and treasure to the kingdom of God, then you become the ordinary means which God uses to do the extraordinary in the lives of others. We are blessed in order to be a blessing, to overflow with God's grace from him, through us, to all. And so I just want to encourage you today, just as uh, the Apostle Paul encourages the church in Corinth, to let your attitude toward giving turn into action. Do something. Take that next step. And as giving then moves higher and higher on your list of priorities and spiritual disciplines, be reminded that through your giving, you display the incredible grace, love, and gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gift of your word today. It is one that encourages us. It encourages us by reminding of, of how incredible 
your grace and generosity has been to all of us through your son, Jesus Christ. And that we know not just about him, not just facts, data, and information, but we can have a deep, rich, experiential relationship with him. We want that. We want to know him more. But it is also incredibly challenging because, Father, we confess that it is all too easy for us to grab a hold of the things of this world with tightly clenched fists, not wanting to give them up, instead of holding on to them loosely with open hands, ready, and even looking forward to the opportunity of generously blessing others in your name. So forgive us, we pray. Father, would you do a supernatural work in our hearts? one that we cannot manifest, we cannot do for ourselves. God, remove the pride. Remove the selfishness and the greed that swells up inside of us so that we wouldn't just be recipients of your grace, but that we would be faithful representatives of your grace to those around us. Empower us with your spirit so that we might live as gracious and generous people who excel in giving representing you and your kingdom well for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit we pray these things today. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.